Welcome back to another episode of Better Together, a healthcare podcast from the Dupin Blue Mountains region in New South Wales, Australia, where we discuss the ways in which patients and healthcare consumers are collaborating with healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, allied health professionals and administrative staff to help improve the health system and get better outcomes for patients in hospital and in the community. We're recording our podcast here as usual at Nepean Hospital, which operates on the traditional lands of the Darek, Gundungara and Wiradjuri peoples. My name's Dominic. I'm a communications specialist who works with the Nepean Blue Mountains Local Health District, and I'm also the carer for two children who live with cancer and rare disease. And Matt is with me today as as, as ever. Yeah, so Matt Roger, I'm an active consumer representative across Nepean Blue Mountains, um, and uh, I am a very passionate advocate for those with a disability, uh, living with the challenges of uh, multiple sclerosis myself. But I also want to make sure that we as consumers can get the best and safest quality healthcare uh, that is never compromised. Um, and I think by doing this series, we actually start to explore some of those ways that we can, we can, as consumers, work better together. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by an Nepean Hospital-based staff specialist in intensive care, Dr. Nee Nguyen. Thanks, Nee, for joining us in the studio. Yeah, thanks, Tom, and thanks, Matt, for the invitation. Now, I've got a little intro for you here, so you let me know if I missed anything, but I've got that Nee's also the clinical lead for the Nepean Hospital Redevelopment, which we've talked about a bit on this show already, uh, clinical director for intensive care in New South Wales at the Agency for Clinical Innovation of New South Wales, lecturer with the Uni of Sydney, and uh, the ICU clinical advisor for the New South Wales Health COVID Response. Is that all of it, or maybe maybe there's a few? Uh, probably the other hat uh, is that I'm also on the Nepean uh, Blue Mountains board. Oh, the board, of course. Fantastic. Look, what I might do is just uh, is, is hand over to you, Matt, because I know you've you've worked with me in a few different environments, and and you're on some of the same committees and things like that. Um, so yeah, fire away. All right, thanks, Tom. And uh, the uh, I think my experiences in the different committees across Nepean Blue Mountains is we are starting to get better consumer engagement with clinicians. And we have certainly valued the opportunity to work with clinicians on that. But I want to take a step back and lift the curtain behind the board. How does does a consumer know that the messages from a consumer are being heard at the board table? Mm. So so it's really interesting, um, I guess, the whole space. And so, as you know, the board is is appointed by the ministry. Um, and actually by the government as a representative of, uh, so they're eyes and ears in a way. So um, the board uh, has, uh, the composition of the board actually uh, is important constitution of the board is actually to have community members on there. Um, And although I'm an intensive care specialist uh, and bringing a certain expertise to the board, our board is very diverse. Um, and so I think the consumer voice comes in many ways. It comes through our consumer representatives on the board themselves who are not health professionals. Some of them are not health professionals. They bring their own personal experience as well as experience from what they've heard from the community. Um, we bring, uh, so myself as an in- intensive care specialist through the committees we chair and also my role in the redevelopment have embedded in that the structure um, consumer representation. 
and issues then get brought to the board. So I think that although um, the idea of a specific consumer rep, which sometimes can feel a bit tokenistic in some committees we've been to in the past, because we, we haven't gotten all, we, ha- we mm. really haven't got it right all the time, right? Um, to transition to a, a culture where core to everything we do is linked back to the, the consumer experience because that's what we're here for. So I think everyone listening can be reassured there, there are multiple ways that, that um, the board who ensures the best quality care can occur, um, uh, you know, do, do hear the consumer voice very loudly and clearly. Mm. Just pick up on that one then. Um, how does a consumer know that the district and services and facilities are working towards providing the safest, highest quality care that's not compromised? Yeah. Um, because we don't actually get to see that yeah. in, at the, the back end, so to speak. Yeah. So um, it, it, I guess to answer that question, um, we can look at it in, in several ways. So the, the board uh, the board chair and certainly the chief executive uh, and all our uh, so consumers who write to the board or write to the hospital, we have access. We you know those those letters are presented to the board, um, and the responses are presented. Right, so that's the first thing. Board minutes are always available, um, uh, publicly available, was that's for the open record. Um, so I think it's striking the balance through the way that we uh, articulate that in board minutes. And and um, and ensuring that the feedback occurs in a timely way uh, in the correspondence that we send back. Um, I I'm not sure whether there's anything else that you so from a consumer perspective, like how would that look if, for us to if we, to get community assurance at the at board level? We're seeing it. Like mm. maybe you can well, sort of help. I me. think if it's about um, right care, right place, right time. Um, and while we say we've got these benchmarks and yeah. key performance indicators, now a lot of people don't understand what a KPI actually is. Um, so how do we know that we've actually said, okay, this might be our benchmark, but let's just go beyond that benchmark? Um, so I, th- I, I think whenever um, we talk about KPIs, as you say, within a health structure, um, a lot of people get antibodies to it and sort of say it's only like it's only when we're watching numbers and watching trends. What the so what factor? Mm. I totally agree with you. Okay, I totally agree. But then what we try to do is really put a framework around. It's actually not the number, but it's what those trends represent as a whole. And and I think the board through all its subcommittees are genuinely best placed to put those pieces of the puzzle together because it's never one indicator in isolation. It's never one committee in isolation. It always is the 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 you know the integration of all those. And I, I think of it in regards to hospital strain. Right, so we talk about budgets, and we talk, and as you say, um, uh, you know, as and I think we always have to be reminded that that um, that old saying about 
just because it counts. You can count it doesn't mean it's what actually counts, right? <laughs> the proof of the pudding is in the eating as well. In that, uh, if, if a patient goes in the hospital one time, they have a particular experience, yeah. there's some sort of re- reporting on that. There's a patient story. There's some way that that gets up to the board level. Yeah. And then when the patient comes into hospital next time or another patient comes in, that's where we see, that, that, that's where we measure change. And hopefully, and I hear what you're saying is, hopefully the KPIs are representative of, of that change that's yeah. happening on yeah. the floor. And, and I agree. I think, Dom, the 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 um we what we need to shift is that the KPIs will sort themselves out if we all remember the core business of what we do, mm-hmm. which is to provide the best quality care for the right patient at the right time, um, and <laughs> yeah. make sure that experiences. So I think it it when staff are really busy in a really strained system, which we know health is yes. that core purpose can sometimes be lost. So I think through leadership and through frameworks and podcasts like this, it just brings us back to remember why we're all here. Um, And sorry, Dom, just I guess one last thing is to say that I think there's been a real recognition of this in many health circles. So whether it's with the Ministry of Health, whether it's with broader broader research that's being done, the uh, embedding in all the pieces of work are the patient-reported experience measures mm-hmm. and the patient-reported outcome measures. So that then gives us a hint that that actually it's, it's about the experience uh-huh. and it's about the longer-term outcome and function and then if we think about that as one other piece of the puzzle, all those come together and I think the board is the best place to make sure that the, it all fits, you know, because as I said, that's where all the information comes to mm-hmm. and, and, and individual committees may not get a, a sense of that. So a falls committee will only look at falls, for instance, because that's mm-hmm. what they're reading. But you can see from the discussions will be nuances that they understand that occurs in a complex environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I, I just want to um, uh, just some of the things you mentioned about strain on the system and you know remembering you know compassionate care being at the at, at, at the centre of all of these um, KPIs and you know the the multitude of different committees looking at specific things and trying to make sure we bring that together we, we're focused on you know the, the the core of the problem at hand if if you like I just well, I was thinking that of that in 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 relation to your work with COVID we have seen a little bit of a dip in compassion or at least healthcare's capacity to be compassionate um, because of the the trauma that that not just consumers, healthcare consumers and people in the community through the pandemic, but, you know, also and probably especially healthcare workers have had to face these past couple of years. I was just wondering what what you thought about that. Um, I find the narrative about COVID fatigue and compassion fatigue really interesting. And the reason is that I actually believe that the more deliberate we are with human connection, actually you become less likely to burn out and have fatigue, right? So, and when I talk about human connection, that that on the surface can feel that you don't have the energy for it now, it's all too hard, but the, the joy that you can get from that human connection and when I say joy, it may still be a sad interaction, mm. right? But but the 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 joy you get from that is a reminder of why we're here, mm. right? Mm. So so I find it 
and this is what I say to the to a lot of my trainees, is that if you are really in the moment and you're genuinely listening and connecting with your families, it may very well be that you're delivering bad news, devastating news, and it may bring a tear to your eye. But that human connection is a and vulnerability is mm. a strength rather than a weakness. Look, right? you know that that resonates with me so much. Now I just got to say because you know I've been thinking about that a lot lately in relation to some of my own sort of health experiences, I guess, or more the health experience of my children, and then how we sort of deal with that and how we live with that. And I think you know when you're in a position, you know, as you are, when you're dealing with trauma day to day and connecting with patients on a personal level and finding that valuable, I think. You know, it's a fantastic attitude, I've got to say, because it's it's looking at it, it, it's looking at say happiness and sadness or these contrary emotions as sort of all part of the same thing as mm. as as a, as a connectedness as something that we can use as a strategy to appreciate what's important mm. in life and what's important in the world. Mm. So you know, it is you know it is a refreshing uh, take I think on 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 what you call COVID fatigue or uh, mm. compassion fatigue, and that's certainly an attitude that I think you know health consumers who've had a lot of interactions mm. with the health system through their own bad experiences probably know intrinsically as well, and that's why I think health consumers like like Matt and like myself and like many others are so passionate about this idea about compassion being at the centre of healthcare. Yeah, we we explored in our last episode with Professor Cardra mm. this whole concept of drawing the line between having to provide the objective specialist view and that compassion side. And and in your role as an intensivist, you're going to be seeing people at their worst possible moment in time and having to convey those messages. So how do you find you strike the balance between the objective clinical decision and that compassion to think about the overall consumer engagement? It's not just the patient, but as you said, it's the families. It might be the interpreters because you have culturally and linguistically diverse people in in our district. How do you strike that balance as a clinician? So um, I think that the community and our staff look to medical leaders in a way to be able to provide clarity about what the issues are. Right. So I think that that is the objectiveness, is that we are clear. When the answer is not clear, we should be honest about it. Right? When there is uncertainty, declare that. That's, I think, is a, a, an important component of the conversation. So for me, the objectivity is an, an, a real clear awareness of decision-making and on what grounds are decisions being put forward, right? And, and how I engage with the with the families to help some of that decision making. So that's the, the I think I think that's what they look to us for for that clarity and objectiveness. But that has to be balanced with an understanding of what the family and the patient's values are, what their context is. It's not my context; it's actually their context. So it, it's not what, how I may have a very, based on my experience and based on science and medicine and so forth, I might have a, a position on it and an opinion which is well-informed. That has to be with the context of the family, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that what the, how the compassion comes in, I feel, is, is that it's about 
not this very black and white sort of presentation, but that nuance by actually, if I tell you this, what does that mean? What is the impact of that in your con- Help me to understand mm, mm. what this means to you when I say this. Mm. And and I think it's that's the understanding of that context can be from a you know cultural upbringing their you know their family dynamics their social situation i mean all i mean we and that's the joy of human connection isn't it it's sort mm-hmm. of the the diversity of it that's right, right? absolutely yeah, it's yeah, yeah. absolutely the diversity of it and i think that if we are genuinely coming from a p- position of curiosity where maybe i think in a particular way and someone else doesn't it leads us to go actually if we're looking at the same information if i'm presenting you with the same thing mm. Why are we seeing it so different, like in such a different way? Mm. That has to come from context. Mm. Right? That, that, that has yeah. to come from context. Yeah. So I think that's how I do it. And I don't, I actually don't, and going back to that idea of, of I don't see compassion, I see compassion as a strength that I don't have any discomfort in being sad when it is sad. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, if it's sad, it's sad. Yeah. yeah. You know, being a doctor or being in science and 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 trying to think, it doesn't make it any less sad. And it's a privilege to share in those emotions. I'm sure yeah. you know. I, you know, I don't want to assume that I. Mm. I think you, I'm sure you feel that way. Mm. And I think you know. I think as consumers, when we encounter clinicians who um, can take that attitude, it, it's quite obvious, and mm. it's a very helpful one to take. And mm. I'm I'm glad to hear that you're saying it's also helpful in a professional context that it makes you you know able to withstand the. The, the slings and arrows, yeah. if you like, yeah. Um, yeah. because certainly, you know, from a patient or a carer's perspective, it's incredibly important to, to have um, a healthcare worker share in in, the, in your emotional response mm. Mm. or at least have an interest in it. And as you say, I think you framed it as a curiosity. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a really fantastic insight. One of the things that, that I often hear about is Consumers just there to as as the police. They're going to be yeah, keep on just trying to spot the gotcha moment. <laughs> and part of that is about trust, trusting that the lived experience of the consumer helps inform your clinical decision. So, what do you see to be a barrier to someone getting involved as a consumer, thinking that they're not going to be their story won't be heard, they won't be trusted. They don't know, you know, there'll be a view that the clinician says they don't don't know what they're talking about, therefore I'm not going to engage with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think all our behaviours and um, actions and responses to things are influenced by our previous experience, right? So if I was faced with that sort of, um, I guess, distrust from the consumer, first thing is you have to acknowledge it. <laughs> you know, I, I think we end up skirting around it and, mm. and then you get this tension because it's unspoken, mm. right? You get the, and you, you, you start to hear stuff go, oh, they're a difficult family, right? Or, or they're really pushy or they want this or they want that. And, 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 and what I try to do is sort of say, well, actually, our the way we speak, the words we use, the way we hand over actually influences, they're mirroring back what we've, what, what, you know, what they're seeing. So I guess it works both ways. So how I'm 
very comfortable and I, and I know that's built up over the years is to be able to say very frankly I sense distrust here help me and again it comes back to that curiosity I sense that you're you don't trust you know healthcare. Mm. tell me a little bit about how you've come to that and can I tell you the 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 the, the complexity of health care is such that their experiences will be very real. It is real, right? And in fact, there were times where we could have done better. Okay, so I gave a very good example where I was on clinically and a family member said their other family member was a bit upset over the last couple of days because a staff member who answered the phone said, the doctors will call you, and they didn't, right? And we make these sort of promises with goodwill all the time. And I think what staff don't realise is patients and their families hang on that Mm. because it was a promise, right? To them, it was a promise. It wasn't, there was some, and then the tension built up over over the few days. So instead of coming to phoning in and saying, can I speak because I'd like to, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you know so, to, so that people don't get defensive, it ended up being a convoluted sort of conversation. So what I did was I actually phoned and I said, look, I've heard that this is what's happened. I uh, heard that you've been really upset about that. Um, you know, I acknowledge that the systems, we didn't do well. How would you like it to look differently from here? And we made an agreement that actually a phone call every 48 hours to let me know, to let her know how her, her, her family was, was what she wanted and that we would then meet. So I think it's that agreement. And I think that in as busy as we are, it's those small steps, all right? And I think from a consumer point of view, if you're angry or you're frustrated or we haven't done well, then we should be welcoming that feedback. Feedback such that, and I said it doesn't work well all the time because the receiver of that feedback needs to approach in a way that's not a personal attack. It's actually about feedback about how it's felt. And I think it's the reframing of things that, and I think what's really helped me over the years is the fundamental approach that everyone approaches an interaction or their job or that particular encounter with good intent, okay? And if they're not, there's a reason for it. We need to call it out and understand it. And I think gradually if we approach it like that, that relationship, because when we think about our core values and we think about why we came into healthcare, core to it is the patient and their family mm-hmm. that 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 you know so we mm-hmm. it, it it is important to us all the time to say that if this was core to why we're all here why the health system is here and why then how does it relate back to that mm-hmm. and if it doesn't let's work out why some things aren't achievable some things is you know enough that's really hard to crack and it's really but we need to actually just call out and say, look, we haven't done very well here. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you use, use was you know, personal attack because I, I, I see that as well. The feedback is an opportunity. Yes. And, and it's a golden opportunity to make a change. And if you think about the, the subject matter of our podcast series, you know, working better together, 
it's a great opportunity to work better together yeah. as clinicians and as consumers. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think we as consumers have a, a big role to play as part of that as well. You know, it's it's. I always feel um, working for health, you know, having to wear sort of both hats, really. I think it's it's a fantastic privilege to be able to listen to patients and to, you know, record and 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 share patient stories but also on the other side as a patient and carer it's fantastic to be able to help inform um the the views the ideas the experiences of healthcare workers so you know celebrating all of those interactions and taking responsibility for what comes out of them i think is is definitely key if you as a clinician if you had to give three key messages to a consumer as to why they should get involved not just in the Pan Blue Mountains, which is obviously the best LHD in the state, but other districts, what would those messages be? Um, is I think my first would be that all our efforts is to make the future or your health better. So I think have the voice, don't be afraid, name the discomfort, name the feeling, never apologise for being the advocate for your family if you don't feel they're being listened to. And I, and I think, you know, there's an approaching feedback in a non-confrontational way and I think changing it to say, you did this is actually how I felt. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting observation. I've heard it said that, you know, you forget what someone said yeah. but you won't forget how they yeah. made you feel. Mm. And that's the important information really. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm. And, and, and I think that then focuses it back to say, I know this wasn't, it becomes, a, it diffuses it because it's not about intention mm-hmm. because you have to assume that everyone, like I said, the intention is good because this is why we're in the jobs we are. But there's a mismatch between the intention and how you made them feel for that particular patient mm-hmm. for that particular time. So I think it's encouraging all those reflections. Mm-hmm. To some extent, that's inevitable, but the communication of it is always an opportunity. It's always, always an opportunity. And as I said, I think it, it, it's, I, I, I don't think it's easy for anybody because, you know, we sort of think about no one likes the idea of confrontation, right? They want to be polite. And, 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 then, and then the other spectrum is it builds up and then you feel like actually suddenly this has come out of the blue. Well, actually it hasn't there's been a whole context that's led to that, mm. right? Um, so so I think I, I can't um, emphasise, you know, more strongly that that the the clinician voice should, uh, sorry, the, the consumer voice and the families, we have to constantly remind ourselves either in the way we structure our plans and structure our organisation, the way we gather feedback, that allows us to make it core to everything we do. Mm-hmm. Nick, that's fantastic. We, we're probably almost out of time, but um, I was going to ask you one more question to see if we could squeeze it in. But just to sort of summarise, I think you've given us a great insight into what's important about that clinician-patient relationship. And that's a really good strategy that I think you've articulated for making an opportunity out of the fact, the privilege of that relationship between mm. somebody who's in the position to care and somebody who's in the position to be ill mm. <laughs> and need the care mm. and, and mm. to make the most out of that relationship yeah, through, yeah. through good communication. And as you say, not playing the blame game, but talking about how something has made me feel. And I think if we always sort of come back to that, um, it then takes that 
anger, and as I said, I think you, you do need, if it is anger in there, then it's important to voice it, mm-hmm. right? It is important to voice it and we don't get always get it right and it may feel uncomfortable. And it's actually, conflict is, is good, right? Because mm-hmm. conflict challenges positions. But like what I said earlier, we're seeing the same thing. So why is the perspective so different, mm-hmm. right? So I think we avoid conflict because we feel that, it puts us on the defensive. But if we approach conflict as, as you say, an opportunity to improve, because we absolutely do not get it right all the time, right? Mm. There are t- absolutely, mm. because the system is complex, It it we are transitioning from a system that was actually very hospital and medical focused, to be fair, okay, mm. to be honest mm. with you. Mm. Like mm. as I said, that was the traditional model. Yeah. And we are making almost this huge pivot and that will make some people uncomfortable, Mm. right? Because it's change. It's not the way they've always done it. And there is still this existence that we are, from a medical and health point of view and nursing and I guess the clinical team, we are experts in a craft, but that craft and our expertise can only be developed if we're reflective of the impact of it on our Mm. consumers. So it's sort of this link that you can't sort of extract. Mm. So I think it's a reality of how we're going to pivot. We've talked about that in previous episodes too, the sort of the the shift away from um, sort of the the supremacy of medical knowledge and the patient as body. And um, it'd be interesting maybe to do an historical kind of episode around that. But then, you know, these ideas have always been there. I mean, that's the Florence Nightingale approach, isn't it? It's that I'm grateful to the patient because the patient, without the patient, I wouldn't be able to care for anybody. Mm, mm. Um, And these ideas have always been there. But, yeah, I think we are... We're starting to understand them better. We're starting to understand them differently. And I think all that's happening in concert with, you know, a view about the importance of diversity and things like neurodiversity and the fact that we've got people living with diseases for longer and, you know, the emphasis on quality of life. So, you know, I think you've touched on a topic that we, we have brought up in other episodes and we'll inevitably touch on again. But I think one of the things you mentioned right back at the start was about is engagement with consumers as being seen as tokenistic. And just because National Standard 2 says you've got to partner with consumers, from my experience on multiple communities across the district, I don't get the sense that it's a ticker box exercise. Yeah. No, really There's actually welcoming the, the input of consumers. Yeah. Um, and I can only encourage other consumers out there who might be listening to this podcast to get involved yeah. in their LHD or other health services yeah. because it's all about you being your best advocate for your own care. Yeah. And and Matt and many listening will know, um, you know, with my redevelopment hat on, your input is crucial to a lot a lot of our designs. And I and I hope that um, that there is a sense when uh, that when when consumers come to and have interactions with the hospital from a physical infrastructure point of view, from the way we organise our teams and, and and everything else, that they can see that we're making steps towards it. You know, I don't think we're there. Okay, I absolutely don't think we're there yet. But I think the more we talk about it, the more 
the better the chance we have of working towards it rather than ignoring it altogether, right? So I think these these podcasts and the conversations and having you, and as, as you know, on, on the committees we share, I value your input um, because it's the active listening about them where we will have the richest sort of outcome and remind us every day about what our core business is. I know that ICU has been taking, you know, steps to, to, to incorporate the consumer voice into um, not just uh, clinical care, but also research. It was some time ago I spoke to some of your colleagues about the ICU follow-up clinic. Yep. And uh, uh, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about perhaps that or any other projects where we are in an ICU context, given your specialty, involving patients in ways that are unique or, um, you know, taking steps towards better consumer engagement? So, so I think um, the the post ICU clinic has been established um, to gain that feedback, but the learnings are both ways. So I think it's set up from a research point of view, but uh, you know to sort of see and a, a recognition that once patients leave the walls you know, of ICU, there's a whole spectrum of things that we actually don't know whether we've what the impact has been. So I think it's that has been set up. I think we. Um, there is still the, the um, patient exper- report experience measures is another one in intensive care. So we have um, we have a, a national registry which now has over two million patients. It's just had its thirty year anniversary across Australia and New Zealand, where every intensive care patient is registered is entered their details are entered into that um, in an anonymous way, but their details about their healthcare is mm. is entered. A new program that's been introduced is now an automatic uh, patient reported experience measure survey, which will then get sent out through the system for either the patient or their carer to respond that covers things like the experience. So I think it's the active learning from, from those to say, well, when we deliver a particular type of care, is it the right way? Mm. Um, I, I think it's been a great example about how consumers getting involved in their own healthcare, working with clinicians can be a great example of working better together. Yep. No, so thank you. And this is that I, I, I um, value these uh, experiences and, and, and our, our conversations and, and I hope the listeners um, feel likewise. I'm sure you do out there in Radio Land, if you can still call it radio, I don't know. But Podcast thank you, world. Dr. Nee Nguyen, for joining us yeah. today on the program, Better Together. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Better Together with myself, Dominic Santangelo, Matt Roger, and our guest today, Nee Nguyen. Please tune in again for upcoming episodes on mental health and consumer engagement in the context of multiculturalism. If you have an idea for a show, please drop us a line at bettertogetherconsumerpodcast at gmail.com. The Better Together podcast is a consumer-driven initiative with help from staff across the Nepean Blue Mountains local health district. Catch you next time.